Hello, Grace family. As we come together gathering online, we want to come with hearts that are filled with praise. And we have so much to be grateful for, all that God has done by just inviting us into relationship and calling us his children. Psalm 111, 1 through 2 says, Shout praises to the Lord with all your heart. We will thank the Lord when we, his people, meet. The Lord has done many wonderful things. And so as we meet, even now, we want to have hearts that are just flooded with praise for him, considering all that he has done, the many wonderful things. So let's enter into worship, delighting in who our God is. Let me pray. Father, we just come before you and we thank you now that we have the gift of being able to gather even online. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who knows us and sees us and loves us and that you want relationship for, with us, that you've called us your children. Father, may praise just flow from our lips. May it be part of our lives. May it be a part of our heart and who we are, because we want to glorify you and lift you up. Lord, we thank you that we are your children, and we just ask now that as we enter into worship, that we would be mindful of all that you are and all that you've done, and that our hearts would be, in fact, filled with praise. We pray this in your name. Amen. Let all things that creator 
So today we'll be in Ephesians 1, looking at God's abundant grace. So here's Ephesians 1, 3 through 10. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding." And he made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we continue this series on what fuels kingdom life. What can we draw on that will enable us to live these kingdom lives that Jesus invites us into. Last week, we looked at this beautiful picture of Jesus as the bread of life. We talked about faith as a feasting on Jesus, as a taking in these gospel truths and savoring them, delighting in them. And I also asked the question, what are we feasting on these days? What are we consuming these days? And how is that nourishing or not nourishing our souls? So today, I wanna stay on this theme of feasting and consuming. But I want to talk about the theme of God's grace. I want to talk about the grace of God, what it is, and how central it is in our lives. And I want to talk about what it means to feast on the grace of God, to come to God's grace, and to drink our fill regularly. And I want to start with this image from Ephesians 1. We're not going to actually walk through this passage today. We're going to look at a number of passages, but there's an image that I love from Ephesians 1. So he begins by saying this, Praise be to God, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he lists all these blessings. And then in verse 8, he says this, According to the riches of his grace that he has lavished on us. And I love that phrase, the riches of his grace. The idea being God has this vast storehouse of grace that he can offer to us. And then there's that word lavished. The word in Greek means to to abound or to pour out or to overflow. And really Ephesians 1 is describing all these ways God's grace has been poured out on us. He's chosen us, we've been forgiven, we've been adopted, uh, we've been filled with the Spirit. All these ways His grace has been poured out on us. And so the image I was thinking of this week is the image of a waterfall. And I want you to picture the, the gospel is, it's like you're standing under a waterfall 
And God is just pouring out his grace in all of its various forms, all the time, sometimes whether you realize it, sometimes whether you don't. There's a poem I love that begins with this phrase, to live in the mercy of God. And the poet compares God's mercy to a waterfall. She goes on to say, to feel the enraptured waterfall flinging itself down hour after year after century, to breathe the spray. And then she ends the poem with this line, thus, not mild, not temperate is God's love for the world. It's a vast flood of mercy. She's describing the grace of God that is big and wide and broad and amazing. And so this series is really all about how do we drink our fill of God's grace? What are the practical ways that we can go to that waterfall and regularly taste and see that God is good? We'll be looking at specific practices like reading scripture, engaging in Christian community, engaging in Sabbath, prayer, solitude, these ways that we we go to the fountain, we go to the waterfall and drink our fill and be satisfied. So today, before we look at the specific practices, this is one more big picture day where I want to talk about grace. And I want to take you through a little journey of grace in the New Testament. We're going to look at six New Testament passages that talk about God's grace. And what I want us to come away with is just this fully orbed understanding of what God's grace is. Because I think some of us have a pretty narrow and limited view of what God's grace actually is. So I want us to see just what a comprehensive thing it is. Okay, so first I want to show you three passages that talk about God's grace uh, that comes to us in the moment of salvation in our forgiveness, really what the got the heart of the gospel. These are gonna be really familiar passages to you, but you're gonna see how grace is so present in these passages. So first, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, maybe most famous of all. For it is by grace that you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And the image that Paul runs with in Ephesians 2 is really the image of resurrection. He begins that chapter by saying, you were spiritually dead. You were caught up in your sins. You were caught up in the ways of this world. You were stuck, helpless, lifeless. And then God made you alive. He brought you to faith. He gave you spiritual life. You were born again. And this is all an act of God's grace. He initiated he made it happen when we didn't deserve it, when we couldn't have possibly done anything on our own. It is all this sheer act of grace. We know this to be true. Or here's another one from Romans 3, another really well-known passage. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. So here the image is not one of resurrection. Here the image is actually a courtroom image. And the idea here is that at one point we all stood guilty in God's courtroom. We had violated his commandments. We had broken his laws. And we were guilty and deserving of punishment. But God did something by his sheer grace. And the word that Paul uses here is he justified us, meaning he declared us not guilty. He acquitted us. He gave us a no condemnation status, even when we were guilty. 
He did this through his son, Jesus Christ, and it is a sheer act of grace. We don't deserve it. We can't possibly repay it. It's initiated and done by the sheer act of grace of God. One more passage. Paul then takes this idea of salvation by grace and applies it to his own journey. This is 1 Timothy 1. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. And here's our word. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul uses his own life as the example of the extravagant grace of God. Later in this passage, you'll say, to me, who is the worst of sinners, right? I was my life was going 180 degrees in the wrong direction. I was a persecutor of the church. And I stand now as exhibit A of God's free and undeserved and extravagant grace, even to the worst of sinners. Okay, so three passages that we all know, most of us know well, that really capture the heart of the gospel of God's grace. And we sing songs about this, right? Most famously, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And we need to go back to the grace of our salvation again and again. We need to be rooted in what happened there. We need to be reminded of what God did. And the practices, really, are, are often ways that we can go back and be reminded of the grace of God that we experienced at our salvation. But that being said, as beautiful as that is, the danger is that we would stop there in our understanding of what grace is. And that would leave us with a very, I think, very incomplete uh, definition of grace. and But I do think, like I said earlier, I think a lot of people do have a very narrow understanding of what grace is. And essentially, a lot of people, I think, just equate grace with forgiveness. Like if you were to ask someone, what, what is grace? They think of grace merely as forgiveness. Like in common language, grace is the thing you get when you mess up, right? Like your life is going along pretty well. That's great. You don't need grace. And then you really blow it. You really mess up. You really do something bad. Well, thank God for his grace, right? That's that's when I need grace. But with that definition, there's also, there, there goes this unspoken expectation or maybe this unspoken hope that um, I'm hoping that I'll need less and less of God's grace, right? The more mature I get in my spiritual journey. I mean, we sometimes think that, right? Like, I know I'll never be perfect in this life, but I'm hoping that I'll need less and less of God's grace the longer I go. And I think that even reveals sometimes even a discomfort with constantly living in God's grace. We know it was something that we needed at the beginning, but we're hoping to kind of say, God, thank you for what you did there. You've changed me. I'll take it from here. And hopefully I'll need less and less of your grace. And I think if we think that way, that is just such a fundamental misunderstanding of what God's grace is and really of how the spiritual life works as a whole. So let me now show you three more passages that talk not about our salvation, but actually about our sanctification, our daily walk with God even today, and how much God's grace is a part of that. Hopefully this will expand our understanding of grace. So first, Titus 2. Paul says this, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all people. It, meaning God's grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So I remember the first time I, I, I read this passage and seriously thought about it, because it really, it hit me, it was almost a disconnect when I saw that grace teaches us to say no to ungodliness, because I was living with the assumption, wait, I thought 
Grace was the thing that allows us to say yes to sin, right? I mean, grace is the thing we get when we, we say yes to sin. And if we're not careful, some of us even fall into this, like, the reason I say yes to sin so much is because, well, I know that God's grace is waiting for me on the other end, right? Like, we, we view God's grace as kind of a get-out-of-jail-free card. I, I'm, I'm going to say yes and thank God for his grace again. But apparently, Paul has a very different understanding of what grace is in a person's life. He's saying grace is not just the thing you get when you mess up. Grace is also the thing that empowers you not to mess up, right? Grace is the thing that's teaching you to say no to sin. It's the thing that's empowering you to live a godly life in this world. I remember sitting with that like, whoa, that's that's a bigger picture of grace than I originally had. Or how about this one in 1 Corinthians 15? Paul then kind of applies the grace of God to his own life again. Listen to this. For I'm the least of the apostles and don't even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, all the other apostles. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. So Paul's describing his experience of becoming, you know, the most passionate, uh, going from the most passionate persecutor of the gospel to the most passionate missionary of the gospel, more than any of the other apostles. And he's saying, I worked harder than any of them. Then he goes on to say, but it, it's really not me doing all this amazing work. It is the grace of God working in me. The same grace that forgave me and saved me is the same grace that is now working powerfully in me so that I am passionately and tirelessly devoted to sharing the gospel with other people because God's grace is this power at work within me. Let me show you one other one. He applies that same power now to us and says that same grace is available to you. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God is able to make all grace abound, there's that lavish word again, overflow to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Now, notice how comprehensive God's grace there is. It, it can abound to you, and it's available to help you live the life that God is calling you to live in every time and aspect of your life. It can abound for every good work that is needed. Okay, we could look at another 10 verses just like these. But my point is, what we get in these is this bigger picture of grace. Grace is not just the thing we get at our salvation, but it's the thing that we constantly need for our ongoing sanctification and our spiritual journey. Grace is much more than just forgiveness, much more than just what you get when you mess up. It's also the thing that empowers us not to mess up. All that to say, God's grace is his undeserved favor in all of the ways that expresses itself in our lives. Saving us, yes. Forgiving us, yes. But also strengthening us, empowering us, comforting us, guiding us. All of those things. And what that means is this. Grace isn't something we leave behind the more we mature in the Christian life. No, it's actually the opposite. The more we mature in the Christian life, the more we walk deeper and deeper into the grace of God. Because here's the thing. It actually takes way more grace to obey God than it does to disobey God. Ever thought about that in such simple terms? Like disobeying God doesn't take any grace. We can do that entirely on our own. <laughs> it takes God's grace though to actually live the life, the obedient life that God calls us into. I love this quote from Dallas Willard. He says this, 
If you really want to consume grace, just lead a holy life. The true saints burn grace like a 747 burns fuel on takeoff. You will consume much more grace by leading a holy life than you will by sinning, because every holy act you do will have to be upheld by the grace of God. And that upholding is totally the unmerited favor of God in action. I love that idea that the great saints, the great men and women, were those who consumed more grace than anybody else. And that's what we want to be doing. We want to be consuming grace constantly so that we're enabled to live out this gracious kingdom life that God has called us into. And so that's what this series is all about. How can we consume more and more grace? And I promise you this is the only time in my career that I will encourage you to be consumers. But that's the idea. How can we How can we consume more and more grace so that God's grace just becomes the air we breathe? It becomes the fuel that that drives us. It becomes that, that refreshing water that refreshes us and empowers us for kingdom living. And specifically, we'll be looking at these practices, reading scripture, enjoying Sabbath, engaging in Christian community, prayer, all these different practices, and really what they are, they're simply different ways that we go to that waterfall of God's grace. Each one of those practices is like a different container that we we bring to the waterfall so that we can, over time, experience God's grace in all of its various forms. And I, I wanted to start with this picture of grace and, and, and all that because I, I think it's going to help frame this conversation about the practices. It'll help us understand what the practices are and what the practices aren't. And what they are is what I just said. They're they're simply practical ways of intentionally taking in God's grace so that we can more faithfully love God and love neighbor, which is the ultimate goal of our lives. What the practices aren't are basically anything other than that. (laughs) They they aren't uh, a duty to check off each day. They're certainly, they certainly shouldn't be a source of, of pride or a measure of spiritual maturity. If, if they ever become any of those things, then they've, they've lost the very purpose that they're there for, which is simply to put us in touch more and more with the grace of God in our lives. And that also helps frame this, I think, this really interesting dynamic between our effort and God's grace. And what I think we learn as we read scriptures that is that our effort and God's grace are not opposed to each other. We're not, we're not called to earn anything with God, but the idea of effort and grace are very much working together. And that's so true in the practices. The truth is, the practices require effort and intention and discipline and consistency. And um, I will be calling us to that throughout this series. And I'll be suggesting that we live in a Christian culture that's incredibly spiritually lazy. And that for many of us, it's time to wake up. It's time to get up and to exercise our spiritual muscles, if I can use the exercise metaphor. Um, We need to exert effort in the disciplines, meaning we need to create space in our lives to read God's word. We need to stay connected to Christian community, even when it gets hard. We need to pray. We need to commit to these things. But that being said, the whole point of that effort and that intention is simply... (laughs) to put ourselves in touch with the grace of God. And by the way, it's the grace of God that even empowers us to to have the effort to do these things. So with that, I want to leave you with that that interesting dynamic between grace and effort. I want to do that by leaving you with the image 
that we started with, this image of a waterfall. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to imagine that you live in a cabin about a half a mile away from this epic waterfall. And so you have the opportunity every morning to see this waterfall at sunrise. And let's just say at sunrise, it just lights up and it's beautiful. And let's just say it never gets old, okay? Every time you see this waterfall, you, you come and touch it, you smell it, right? It's this invigorating experience of grace and beauty that is substantive. But it requires effort. It requires discipline and intention and consistency, right? You have to, every morning at, let's say, 6.15, you have to get out of that warm, cozy bed. You got to put shoes on. You got to step out into some cold air. And you've got to take that short walk to the waterfall. And so a lot of mornings, it just seems so much easier in the moment to stay in bed, to stay under those warm covers, uh, to get an extra hour of sleep, or maybe you've got the remote to turn on the TV right there and just to watch 30 minutes of your favorite show. The truth is, if you go, if you go to the waterfall, you never regret going, but sometimes you just don't do it because it just feels easier not to in the moment. And I think that is such a fitting metaphor for the practices and how they work in our lives. And so I want to leave you with these two lives that I would put before you. One life that takes effort and discipline and intention, but is full of so much more grace and beauty and meaning and substance in your life. And the other life that is easy that takes very little intention, but you miss out on grace after grace after grace that could be poured out in your life. So which life do you want in the end? And I leave you with the words of John Calvin. Since rich store of every kind of good abounds in Christ, let us drink our fill from this fountain and from no other. Amen. Donald Barnhouse once said, every day we are objects of the grace of God. But as we live out our daily lives, we often don't have eyes to see the grace of God in the thousands of ways it impacts our lives. And that's not always because we are incapable of seeing it, but because we don't take the time to pay attention to the expressions of God's grace all around us. So let's take some time this morning, right now, to reflect on God's grace in our lives. And I encourage you to just think about the last two weeks. Where have you experienced God's grace? Maybe it's in a big thing, or maybe it's in so many small ways you might take for granted every day. And as things come to your mind, give God thanks for those things. Robert Louis Stevenson said, the person who forgets to be grateful has fallen asleep in life. So church family, let's awaken to the grace of God in our lives right now.
Father, we don't want to be people who go through our lives sleepwalking, asleep to your work, asleep to your provision for us, and asleep to your manifold grace that touches our lives every hour of every day. So I ask that you give us eyes to see, and may that open up our hearts to you in fresh ways. May the reality of your grace in our lives compel us to respond with a deep and abiding trust in you, a trust that moves us to wholehearted love and worship. To you be the glory forever. Amen. As always, we hope that you've been encouraged by today's message, and we invite you now to consider the reflection questions that we'll put on the screens. Let's just end our time with this benediction. 
May God meet all your needs according to the riches of his grace in Christ. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen.